everybody man are we all in luck today i've got my man brendan from master talk brendan is one of the most skilled speakers i have ever seen on video i've ever seen and i'm super super excited to zoom in with brendan about public speaking tips and different ways that he can help you we were just talking before we went live how i have an audience that's pretty mixed in terms of law firm owners business coaches whatever. But if you're watching this live or even on the replay here on this video, uh, let me know in the comments. Give me a number one if you're excited to learn how to improve your public speaking skills. And Brendan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's such a pleasure to be here, Joey. And thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. And one of the things I love about you is how honest and transparent you are. And before we went live, I asked you, you know, what's the story behind this? And you were like, Joey, I'm not going to give you some story about how I was just a super awkward kid growing up and I've overcome it all. So can you share the background of, of how this became something that you were uniquely talented in and how you built the business and master talk around it? Yeah, absolutely, Joey. So there's three easy steps here. So let's go to step one, which is the one we talked about before this call started, is when I was a kid, I grew up in a, in a city called Montreal up in Canada. For those who don't know, Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak both in English and in French. But I didn't know French. But my parents sent me to French school to learn it, which of course, I'm super thankful for today. Now I'm trilingual, which is awesome. But in the moment, it wasn't so fun, where every presentation you deliver, forget being scared of presentations, I didn't even know the language. Mm -hmm. So I just looked at people and said, bonjour. <laughs> that was my life <laughs> growing up. Man. So from the ages of like five to 17 or 18, that was pretty much the summary of my public speaking ability. And then part two of that was when I went to university, I studied in English for that one, thankfully. I started doing these things called case competition. So it's very similar to moot court in the law world, but in this case, we're presenting business problems. So business gives us a problem, let's say Nike goes, hey, Brendan, Joe, I need you to design a new shoe and pitch it to a new market. A bunch of early 20-year-olds are pitching these solutions to senior-level executives at Nike, and mm. these people pick the best solution. And the reason these things exist is to pick out the best students to then recruit into companies. Nice. And I was obsessed with these cases. While other guys my age were playing soccer or other sports or something like rugby. I can't do rugby, as you can tell. I'm not built for that kind of stuff. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I accidentally – got really good at communication wow. coaching. That's what led to Master Talk. Now, when you started doing that, did you found that like doing well and getting picked by those businesses that came pretty naturally to you? Or what were some, if any, kind of hard lessons learned that helped you get better there? 
Oh yeah, definitely a lot of hard lessons learned. So I would say the first one is really understanding how to interact with an executive. So for example, when you're in your early 20s, which I obviously didn't sound this way at the beginning when I was doing case competitions, it probably sounded something more like this. Oh, hey, um, you know, it's great great to be here. And and um, yeah, so my name is Brandon. These are my team. So it doesn't sound that great. But what, so I would say the hard lesson is really the feedback I would get from these senior executives who are our coaches during this mm-hmm. process. And they would take time out of their busy schedules that where they should be having dinner with their families, really, and come to school and come watch us present. So trust me, they didn't have any tolerance. They would just look at you and say, that's not how you speak to an executive. Wow. Like, calm down, be more articulate, speak like this. So yeah, a lot of my ego got shut down really early in my life, and I guess that's why I'm a lot more humbler and and uh, transparent and clear with my communication. Man, I mean that sounds kind of like a nightmare, but, <laughs> at least for me. But tell me more about this because it seems like, and based on the people, the other types of speaking coaches that I've talked to, I know that getting that type of feedback and being very mindful of how, I, how am I coming off right now, it's very possible that that only highlights all of the problems because you're getting even more in your head. How are you able to kind of take that feedback in real time, improve and and stay in the present moment as you're delivering those presentations and not get so caught up in what are they thinking about me right now? That's a beautiful question, Joey. So the way I think about it, there's kind of like two worlds. So in that small little world of people, the reason people took feedback so well is because it was really hard to get into that program. 400 mm. people apply every year to get into that comp. Because if you pr- if you get into that program, you pretty much have five job offers waiting for you. At oh the my end. gosh. Because you're just 10 times more productive yeah. than the next student at the school. But the other piece is when I started Master Talk and I started making videos on YouTube, I started coaching people. I realized that that world I used to live in is not an accurate representation of the real world Mm. because most people, to your point, they can't really take that feedback. So I think for me, the way I I think about it is step one for most of us is to reframe the languaging around communication because most of us, when we think of public speaking, we think of stress, anxiety. And it's no wonder, by the way, every presentation we've given in our life, Joey, is mandatory. We don't wake yeah. up in the morning and say, hey, Joey, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Right. Nobody says that. So the key is a question that we can start this conversation off with, which is how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Mm-hmm. That's really the start. And that really helps rewire your brain to start thinking of communication as a positive thing rather than a negative one. Oh man, that is powerful. And I I don't want to lose track of earlier. You said there were these three stages to your growth. One was the the French school and then in college, what was part three? Right. Absolutely. So part one, to your point was the, you know, I was a five-year-old and I was working through my French part two was the universities. Part three was when I graduated from university, I was very fortunate. I landed incredible job at IBM right out of my bachelor's degree. And I was going to start there in just a few months. And right before that, the idea for Master, not as a business, now it's a business, but at the beginning, it was a YouTube channel because a lot of the students I was coaching in university kept asking me a question I didn't have an answer to. Mm -hmm. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? And I didn't really know. 
because I, I couldn't afford a speech coach and I never did Toastmasters. I'm a guest. I, I'm a kind of guest now, but I, I didn't really learn. I didn't go through the curriculum. Yeah. So I, I just started looking at YouTube videos that existed on communication already because 20 people had asked me about it and they thought I was watching videos on YouTube. And I was like, who does that? So I started watching these videos myself and I didn't like the advice that was being shared. Interesting advice like hey joey you should like be yourself you should follow your dreams whereas in my head it's like no wait a sec if you're an executive everything that comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your personal brand why isn't anyone talking Mm. about that on a youtube video so i started making videos in my basement and as i was working at ibm the the youtube channel and the business slowly started replacing my income and now it's more of a mission thing you know i want i really want the world to have those resources and help people how to speak I love so many things about what you just said, but one of the things that's really rising to the surface for me is that there's this trend in the business owner world of, especially in this entrepreneur creative coaching space of corporate feeling is kind of bad. And one of the great freedoms of being your own boss is you can really cast aside a lot of the corporate discomfort, whatever. But it's really interesting that you're able to keep this corporate perspective so that whether you're helping people in corporate or not, it's really helpful to say, no, well, if, if you were in a corporate setting, here it would be helpful questions for you to ask. And those might be helpful questions regardless of whether you're actually a mid-level manager somewhere or your, your own boss is a coach. I also think it's interesting that you seem to have so many opportunities for you to have a pretty easy, impactful, passionate position at another job. And yet you decided to take an arguably harder route of going out on your own. Was that a tough decision for you? Or what, did a part of you always know, eventually I want to be my own brand? Absolutely spot on, Joey. I was definitely, I'm like the quintessential anti-entrepreneur. Mm. anyone who would be an entrepreneur so people really know this i would laugh at them why would you take the risk (laughs) right it doesn't make any sense like literally when i started working like i started started business school i looked at all the career opportunities like oh i could be a partner at price waterhouse coopers where i started my career i could be like in accounting i could be a law firm partner Mm -hmm. without ever starting my own business i could be a consulting partner i could work at mckinsey and company which is my dream initially work at one of these big consulting firms and do exactly what I'm doing now, but just get paid a really high salary to do it and take no risk, especially from a background like mine, Joey, where my parents grew up on minimum wage. We didn't really have a lot of money growing up. Yeah, I did not see entrepreneurship as the way out. I saw education and employment as the way out. And it was the way out for me, by the way. Like, I mean, IBM didn't pay me, uh, pay me pretty well. Like I was pretty sure. happy there. But I think what happened in the transition, this would be probably my advice for those of you who are thinking about making the jump Mm. is I generally, I know this is weird. And it's probably the antithesis of your show. I generally don't recommend entrepreneurship unless, unless there is a reason for you to want to do it. So if you're someone Mm. who's interested in entrepreneurship, my advice is what I call side hustle comfortably. What does that mean? That means Get a nice corporate job. I mean, you had a great corporate job before you went to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Get a nice high-paying corporate job. Really taste what that life feels like if you can get a job like that. And just enjoy the lifestyle. 
and then make a decision on who you actually are. Because most people just tend to keep climbing that ladder and just seek more. Whereas when you and our, and me, arguably you as well, when I started making the money and I was there, I just realized that my time was more important than the money I was making. Yeah. And that's what led me to start a business and do this full time. Because every time I was in a meeting in corporate, and by the way, I loved IBM. I loved working there. Mm. And it sucked to leave. I gave like a six-week notice. It's no hard feelings or anything. But I think for me, the big thing was every time I was in a meeting, I was like, wait a second. I could be using that same hour and just talk to Joey on a podcast that impact 15 people, 50 people, 100 mm. people. So it just became – it just changed the way I looked at my time. So I just looked, came to the conclusion that, you know what, even if I'm making 50 grand a year, if I just get to choose how I spend my hours and spend it like this, that's a better trade-off for me personally. Oh but my for gosh. most people, it probably isn't. It's so, it's so true. Now that I've been a business owner for a number of years, I'm used to asking myself you know, that question of where do I want to be in five to 10 years or, or next year? What's the goal? And as a part of that, what's the revenue goal? And I'm learning how important it is to see that when you create a revenue goal for yourself or you want you tell yourself, I want to be able to make this much money, what exactly are you going to do with that money? Because it can very easily turn into just, I want to keep up with the Joneses. I want to make as much as my friend is making. And it's more of a competitive chase than I want to make this much because it supports this lifestyle. And like you, Brendan, I have realized that I, I love freedom and time freedom and space on my calendar and being able to help people one-to-one -one the way that I do so much that if I had more money, I would probably use it to create opportunities like this. That's yeah, super that's powerful, a man. Really great. I don't even want to call it a rabbit hole because I feel like that's disrespectful, but it's a really good point to be making. I do want to circle back to you watching all of these YouTube videos. And I want to create some space here in the, the live chat or if you're watching the replay. Before Brendan gives his thoughts here, uh, let us know what is a common thing that you've heard in terms of a tip or advice when it comes to public speaking. And if you let us know live, then then we'll address it here on the call. But Brendan, what are some some top mistakes that you hear experts talking about when it comes to speaking? Ooh, this is the spicy question. You shouldn't have asked me this one, man. I'm going, I'm going to go to a 30 minute rabbit hole. Awesome. I'm just kidding. So, so let's start with the first one. The framing, in my opinion, is completely off. And what mm. I mean by that is every speech coach, not all of them, but most of them, when you hear them speak in a video, usually sounds something like this. The fear of public speaking is rampant. There are two things people fear the most, death, but more than death, public speaking. So I go, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, let's stop the video right here. If your goal is to help other people with their communication, and the first thing you're doing is telling them how scared they should be of public speaking, mm. are we actually helping them? It's like the bigger question, right? Yeah. So that's probably the biggest mistake I see. The second one is tips are usually not layered in practicality but rather generality. So it's more things like, okay, Joy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice. I want you to get feedback. And I want you to practice some more. <laughs> the best speakers <laughs> in the world, this is what they do, Joey. 
This is serious. <laughs> they practice the same speech a hundred times. And that's not bad advice per se. I mean, it's true. It's a truism. But I would look at that and just say, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, there's other pieces to that. So, for example, mm. when I teach speech structure, I like comparing it to a jigsaw puzzle. You know those toy puzzles you used to do as a kid? Yeah. Right? So let me ask you a quick question about that. Let's say you were making a puzzle. It's not a hard question. Okay. What, which pieces would you start with first if you're working on a jigsaw puzzle? The corner pieces. Absolutely. And what would be your rationale behind that? Because they're the easiest to find and figure out where they need to go. Absolutely. So I just look at my audience and my clients and I just go, why don't we do that in public speaking? Mm. So what do we do in public speaking? Here's what we do. Any corporate presentation, you can name, insert anything there. You shove a bunch of content. You do the opposite. You start with the middle pieces first because you're stressed out. Your next meeting's coming up. You, you have a deliverable that your boss gave you yesterday. You get to the presentation. You ramble throughout the whole thing. Mm. And then the last minute sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, um, uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, have a great day. That's it. <laughs> so I encourage people to just start with the edges first. Practice your introduction 50 times. 50 times. Mm. It's not going to take you that long. Your intro is like a minute each. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? 50 times the conclusion. And only just implementing that tip alone from this entire conversation will put you in the top 5 to 10% of any corporate company you're a part of. Oh my gosh. Okay. That seems easy enough. Why do you think people don't do that? Or where does the resistance come from? Or they just don't know that that should be the focus. It's definitely the the latter around. Like they don't really know that's how they should focus. Okay. And it's not their fault either, right? Because think uh, of it like this. Yeah. Let me just set a wider context for people. Going back to the point we talked about earlier, every presentation we've done in our lives is mandatory. So when you're in high school, you're in college, you're in university, you're getting started with work at a law firm, as an example. It's not, hey, Joey. What are you passionate about? What do you want to talk about? No, it's, hey, Joe, I need you to get this done for tomorrow. And can you talk about Shakespeare too while you're at it? And you're like, who? <laughs> right? And, and it's not fun. Yeah. So it's, we see public speaking like a chore. It's kind of like doing the dishes. And who wants to get better at doing mm. the dishes? Nobody I know. Yeah. And that's the key is because of that, we don't really think beyond. We kind of just accept the reality of what public speaking is. Oh, it's just something I need to do. So it's not really fun. When we mm. start to really rethink it, like with that puzzle analogy, it's a lot easier for people to eat bite-sized chunks of public speaking in a fun way. Kind of like when you played your favorite sport or you went yeah. dancing for the first time. It's not like big expectation. Oh, by the way, there's a grade here, Joey. No, it's you just shoot some balls, you miss a couple, and you figure it out and you have fun doing it. I, I want to teach public speaking in the same way. Oh, I love this. And and when it comes to, I'm thinking in these two camps of business owners who might be thought leaders, course creators, things like that, but also, you know, your, your mid-level manager in corporate, when we hear the word presentation, either of those contexts, at least I think about putting together presentation slides and PowerPoint and all this stuff. Is that usually the context that you're seeing too, that you're speaking and there's some type of a visual aid or not necessarily or less and less? Love that. So there's three different contexts, especially in the corporate side, Joey. Yeah. The first one is the one that you mentioned. Absolutely. So let's say you're selling work. You're a part of a service-based business like a law firm. You're selling different types of work. Usually what happens is you're up against other law firms 
and you present why you're law, as you know, right, being the CEO yeah. of a law firm yourself, and you go through that RFP process. It might be a bit different with law versus tech, but sure. same idea. You're presenting slides. The second piece of it is how you introduce yourself. Especially if you're someone who wants to climb up within an organization, every time you interact with somebody, you want to make sure they remember you, mm. even if they are somebody who has nothing to do with your department. Because every person in your company is an ally of who you are. So whenever somebody says your name at a company that you work at, people need to say, wow, this Joey guy, he's amazing. I really love working with him. Mm. But if 100 people say that, you have a reputation. You have a personal mm. brand, but the opposite is also true. If you don't really explain yourself in a way and you, people come up to you and say, how are you doing? You're just like, yeah, good. And you don't leave that right first impression. Yeah. That's the second piece. And the third piece is how do you structure meetings? So let's say you're in a 30 minute meeting with a bunch of executives and you have 30 seconds to, let's say a minute to speak. You want to make sure what you share is punchy. Because every moment you speak is a representation, once again, of your personal brand. So let me give you a quick example. Let's say leader A, who's running a meeting, sounds something like this, typical. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the meeting. I hope you're all doing well. If you have any questions, let me know. And, yeah, and they ramble through. Whereas leader B says the same thing. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. today. In today's meeting, we'll be covering three key objectives. If you have any questions whatsoever, feel free to just send me an email or text me quickly on my phone. I'll be more than happy to support you. Mm. Same information, completely different packaging. So those are the three things I would think about. Okay. I want to stop you right there because I think this is really powerful. When you started giving the second version of that opening, what was going on in your mind that triggered that? Was it just like, I want to convey this feeling and therefore I'm showing up differently? Did you plug into like a certain person or avatar that you made up for yourself? What, what was happening in your mind when you made that switch? I love that. So let me make this as simple as possible because back to what you're saying earlier, I love that practicality piece. Yeah. And here's something I really want executives to know because it's not like, a oh, if you just do this, you get there. Sure. But it's rather a principle I really want people to understand. Then we'll get into the tactics and we'll break that down. And the principle is you will never learn how to speak exceptionally well in the boardroom. Mm. But that's where you're doing all your practice. And that's the core problem. So whenever you're giving a presentation, it's always due tomorrow. It's always stressful, and it's never the same presentation. So yeah. the second you present, let's say you present, you do a good job, your boss immediately comes up to you and says, hey, I need you to do something else for something completely different that has nothing to do with what you just did. So you're always running in a hamster wheel versus the way I think about it is because that's such a terrible practice arena to go outside of that law firm. So a question, mm. like, let me give you kind of a typical example yeah. that I've seen in my coaching. Let's say Julia is a bank executive, random client, random name. And Julia does really well as a, at the bank and she wants to work on her communication. So let's say she comes up to us and says, what do I do? What I always ask Julia is I always say, what do you like doing outside of work? And then mm. Julia goes, I don't, this answer, this question does not compute with my uh, vocabulary. I'm just kidding. She doesn't say it. But she would say something like, I don't really understand this relevant, Brendan. But, you know, I coach kids outside of work. And I was like, stop. What are you coaching those kids on? Mm. She goes, oh, well, you know, I give like a pro bono workshop. A lot of executives do that. I'm, I'm sure you know that as well. Yeah. I'm like, you know, marketing. And I say, okay, that's great. Talk to me more about that presentation. He goes, oh, you know, it's like a 45-minute keynote I deliver, and I do it every three months because the kids in the leadership group keep changing. Mm. So my reply to her is, okay, perfect. Here's what you do. You 
focus your attention on that presentation and you make that the best presentation in the world. Mm-hmm. 99% of your focus should be on that. So when you're focused on helping kids, you're focused on helping other people, and you're not thinking about the stress of work. You're just focusing on this kids. Th- then you apply puzzle. You do all the stuff we talked about today. Mm. You make that presentation world class, and the technique you learn from that presentation trickles down into the corporate world. Interesting. That's, that's the strategy. So like, let's say when I coach people, it's not, okay, Joey, I want you to take out one of your RFPs, and we're going to go through a sales process. No, no, no. Because because the mind is still going to be limited. Oh, I need to present it this way because everyone yeah. thinks. No, no, no. It's do you like bananas? And then like talk about bananas <laughs> and then get better. Expand your technique and then bring that technique back to the corporate world. And that's how you stand out. That's so cool. And I, I love that you're helping people in corporate with this because it. I know and remember and still see how much improvement is needed in this area across the board. But I think sometimes we were talking before we went live about how Brendan's on LinkedIn a lot and I'm getting on there more. And I think there's the stereotype that like, if you look at the people on Facebook and the people on LinkedIn, the people on LinkedIn just talk better. That, you know, it's that corporate, they all kind of speak well. And I remember when I was a new lawyer going to bar associations and stuff, I had this idea that like, oh, if you're a lawyer and you've been practicing for over five years, you're going to have like public speaking chops. And I learned that wasn't necessarily the case. In terms of, again, opening the conversation up to, to just business owners in general, whether you're talking to people in corporate or not, is there, do you have any insights or, or tips you can share about how to take the anxiety out of speaking with a particular person who you think might look down on you because you, you're not where they're at yet speaker wise feel free to answer this question however you best want to but i think that it's a the issue that i'm seeing is people who are they're ready to go into a bigger room with bigger players and there's a sense of intimidation about what people are going to where people are going to be at and what people might think of you and where you're currently at Absolutely. I love this. And one of, so a couple of the things that came to mind as you were asking that question as well, Joey, is the first thing is around how we think about, thank you, Maniac (laughs) Mark. It's great to, (laughs) great to meet you, is around the difference between lawyers who are exceptional communicators Mm -hmm. and the ones who are generally, to your point, even after five years, don't make it at that level of communication. And most of the time, for the lawyers I know, the difference is all mood court. The people mm-hmm. who actually are exceptional at communication generally did mood cart when they were doing their law degrees. And the reason yeah. they're so exceptional is because when they were practicing back then, they were like, there was no stress. They were just having fun. They just wanted to win the thing. Yeah. So, but those skills trickled over as the people who didn't do that, they get straight into the stressful situation. And that's where the gap in the skill mm-hmm. occurs. So, going back to the next piece, which is very similar, is how do you get to senior level executives? And how do you speak to them in a way that doesn't stress you out? So let yeah. me start with a little bit of empathy because I'm not here going to tell you, oh, yeah, I don't stress at all. It's an executive. As you can probably tell from my face, I'm probably not in my 40s, right? I started coaching CEOs and C-suite level Yeah, executives. you look 12. Yeah, exactly. Probably 11. <laughs> you know, I started coaching people when I was 22, like Man. at the C-suite level. Mm. And sure, that sounds cool, but in reality – 
for me at the time, it really wasn't. Not because I didn't like those people. They're really good people. Yeah. But it was intimidating because some of like my, my oldest client is 57, right? So some people mm-hmm. have worked in their organizations longer than I've been alive to make it very blunt. So trust me, I, had, I was very scared as well. So what helped me overcome that anxiety? So a couple of things. I would say the easiest thing that we could share today is just have lunch with them in a very informal setting. I'll tell you a quick mm. story. When I was 19 or 20 years old, and I wanted to work at one of the big four accounting firms when I was pursuing my accounting degree, so KPMG, EY, PwC, or Deloitte, I just told myself, you know what? I might as well message a couple of senior executives. If one of them knows me, this will probably work out because I didn't have a network, right? My parents yeah. didn't know, like, uh, you know, the rich uncle. We didn't really have that. I just started messaging people. And one guy who was one of the most senior partners at Ernest & Young in the tax department in Canada emails me back and goes, yeah, sure. I'd love to meet you. And I was freaking out. I had my oversized prom suit on because I couldn't afford <laughs> anything else. Couldn't afford another suit. Like this looks nice now, but at the time I didn't have a, I, and I was mm. carrying Ray Dalio's book principles just to look smart. I was too nervous <laughs> to read it. I was just, so I sat there and the guy comes up to me at, I get, I go to their office, whatever. And the guy comes up to me and he asked me the most bizarre question. I never thought executives asked each other. And the question was, how was your summer? And I just went, mm-hmm. is that what executives do? They ask themselves about their summer. And we had the best conversation. And what this does is it humanizes the person yeah. we're intimidated by. And yeah. I also want to add something else that I think is important for people. If you're genuinely in- – actually, let me actually go for it. Let me say something else. The other piece is because I want this to be an encouragement for all of you. I've grabbed probably 100 coffees with executives in my life. And if there's anything I've learned from 100% of them, not 99, not 90, not 85, literally 100%, is if they say yes to the coffee, they are guaranteed to be nice people. Wow. Guaranteed. Yeah. Because if they're bad people or just like people who don't have time for you or people don't want to invest that time, they either won't reply to the email, which is the most likely, mm-hmm. or they won't answer back. But if they're saying, hey, Joe, I'd totally love to get a coffee with you, they're almost undoubtedly really nice people. And the third thing I want to add is if those people are actually rude, which has never happened to me, by the way, the question you should ask is not how do I impress them, but go back to yourself and say, why should I work here? Mm. Why should I work in an organization where executives are not taking time for my professional development? If I'm a top-end candidate, and they're not spending 15 minutes talking to me and mentoring me. Why are we working in this company? So I'd encourage people to kind of flip it on its head. That is really powerful. And I think that entrepreneurs and business owners can use that similar line of thinking of, if I want to expand my network and reach out to people who might one day become referral partners or clients or whatever, I'm going to reach out to as many people as I can. And if people don't respond, that's fine. If they do, then the pressure is already off. I love that. Absolutely. And it's also in the context of what you do because you do incredible work with your clients and I'm one of them. And what I would say in that case is the same thing. At the end of the day, for a business owner, sales is just a numbers game. For, and for me, the way I always see it is like I could get 100 rejections or 99 rejections. But if one of them is a yes, I just see that as a new client, as a new person that's ready for the transformation. So I get more excited about the fact that, wait a second. If I got one client after messaging 100 people, what if I messaged 10,000 people? I would just get 100 clients and I would be full. 
Yeah. That's it. I know it's people are always asking me like, how do you grow a business? And usually what I tell them is if you want to make more money, you got to put more offers out there and it might seem overwhelming or scary to even put out that offer and message people and say, Hey, would you want to grab a call? It's a guaranteed way if you do it enough times to hit whatever sales goal you have to that end. Because I know we were talking about LinkedIn earlier. We've been talking about corporate. Is there a way when you are reaching out to people, especially if they're a little bit colder, if they don't know who you are, to make sure that you're not adding to that pile of LinkedIn crazy messages from people who you are definitely just going to ignore because they seem to be selling you something? Great, great question. So so the way I think about this, Joey, because I always like to give in the easy stuff that people can implement. Yeah. The easy stuff, this is a tip I've used that I'm always surprised most people don't do. And it's something people already know, but they don't apply. And Brendan mm. Bouchard says it best, right? Common knowledge isn't always common practice. So let's yeah. practice a little bit. And the tip is leverage your top 10. So here's what I want you to do. Make a list of the top 10 people in your network. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Super simple. And by top ten, I don't mean by money or status, just as human beings. You just find them super interesting. You just yeah. enjoy spending time. So it's not about sales or anything like that. And then all you gotta do is do the thing ninety-nine percent of people don't do. And I really mean ninety-nine, because I, I don't think a lot of people do this, is introduce those ten people to each other. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then what happens is those people introduce you to their best ten. I mean, that's how I that's how we start working together yeah. is it was an introduction for one of my top 10 to say, Hey, you got to talk to Joey. So when I was looking at the different trademark lawyers, like, yeah, duh, I got to work with Joey. Right. So it's the same thing when we yeah. think about the top 10, but it's not even just about business either. It's really just about who are the high integrity human beings or the people I really respect. They generally know people that they, that I really, I would really respect too. And they would be more than happy to make that introduction for you just yeah. to talk to them. So that's what I'd really encourage people to do. Make a list of the top 10 people that you absolutely love and just intro them to each other and magic just happens. Such a good tip. Oh, that's great. Again, just because I feel like this is going to be helpful for people who are watching and I know you can answer this well. What tips do you have for those instances where it's not an intro when you are reaching out to somebody to do what you can to make sure that you're ideally not being seen as that junk mail that's coming through. Absolutely. I would say the key is a couple of things, right? It depends what the context is. If it's just meeting someone over coffee or something like that, you just want to genuinely get to know them. There's no like yeah. sales behind it. I would, I would just mention like a specific thing that I really enjoy about mm-hmm. them. So I'll give an example. Let's say I'm trying to talk to Julia and I just want to learn more about what she's doing. And I just want her as a, like, as a relationship. Right? I just want to know her because she's doing incredible work. The first thing I would do is, first of all, you got to customize your LinkedIn messages. It's, it's shocking how little people send a message yeah. when they connect with people. So that's simple stuff first. But then within the message, there's a very big difference. And we call this details, right? Between saying, hey, Julia, would love to connect with you versus, hey, Julia, I really love the episode that you did with Joey where you talked about this and that specific thing resonated with me. Love to connect further. I think you're doing amazing stuff. Have a great week. You'd be surprised how little people take that extra step. And that extra step literally takes not five hours of your life, literally takes 
five minutes of your life. And it's that detail that matters. The other thing I would say as well is if they reply to you, this is more of a personal thing. Some people don't like this. I personally like it. And it's got me far to this point anyways. Voice notes. Voice notes definitely help to humanize Mm. an interaction. I think I'm the only person besides maybe three or four other people that I can count on a finger on that send voice notes. It's like, yeah, if you're meeting someone new and they don't know you and they just reply to your text and just connect to just send a quick, like, not as, doesn't have to be a minute, 20 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds. Hey, Joey, it's great to meet you, man. Have a great week. I'm like, oh, oh, this Brendan guy, he's actually a human being. That's awesome. I love that tip, especially on LinkedIn, I think, where people aren't going to see that coming at all. Oh, yeah. On LinkedIn. Oh, my God. And I'll give a business tip as well that might be interesting for people. How how do I get so many clients off LinkedIn? Super simple. I don't even ask them to get on a call. I don't even talk about my services. For me, it's always in it for them. So Mm -hmm. all I do is I just say, let's say I'm doing this to you. The message would sound something like this. Hey, Joey, hope you're doing well. I'm doing a free training on effective communication over Zoom. Would you like an invite for that question mark? So I'm not sending them an invite. This permission is really important. And then I say after that question, no problem if you can't make it. Have a wonderful week. The no problem if you can't make it is very important too because it gives them permission to say no. So when people Mm. say no, it doesn't matter. First of all, they weren't ideal clients to begin with. And two, it doesn't matter. They might just reply and say, hey, thanks for that. Not now, but message me in a month. I'm I'm on maternity leave. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I'll just message you next month. I, I love that. And I think it, it answers Mark's question too of, let's see, how about this, Brendan, if you want to introduce someone to your brand, but without being intrusive or like you're selling something, how would you suggest to go about this sending samples? I, I love what you just said, Brendan, about maybe it's, maybe it is samples or a free training or a call or whatever, but before you give them the link or the samples or whatever saying, Hey, I've got this thing that I think will help you. Would you like more information about it? Are you interested? If not, no problem. Getting that opt-in and then taking it a, a step further and giving them the thing that they are, show that they're interested in. Absolutely. And there's a good way of summarizing this. I, I was listening to Rory Vaden, who was on a podcast with Lewis. Lewis has like another podcast for those who don't know. Yeah. And he said it so well that I think it's worth reemphasizing. He said, lose the sale, but don't lose the relationship. You should mm-hmm. always win the relationship. Because if you win the relationship and you lose the sale, you still win because everyone in your industry is just trying to get the sale. But if you get the relationship, you're going to get a bunch more sales from that key. I'll give an example for my free training so people understand this. They get on the call. It's not recorded. I coach them all for free. And then the people who don't book a call at the end, I message them. And this is literally what I say. Hey, Joe, I hope you enjoyed the free training. Hey, do you mind just writing me a LinkedIn review on what you thought of the free training? That's it. I love that. So even the people who don't become customers become advocates. And <sighs> that's the key. I love it. I love that strategy so much. And you can repurpose and, and highlight those reviews that you're getting on LinkedIn in all sorts of ways. There Man, you you're so, you guys, people like Brennan are just so smart. So I, I have one more question for you, Brendan, before we close out. You obviously are somebody who has tapped into a growing network. You've got a large number, number of relationships that you're managing, that you're up-leveling, whether clients or not. When it comes to managing those relationships, is there something that you're using, some type of a resource or an app 
that is holding all of those contacts for you, helping you stay on track with certain people or not. Because I, I have a lot of business owner friends, especially ones who are depending on like referrals for growth, who are, are struggling to think about, okay, where, where do I have these relationships live or be documented somewhere? Is that something that you do? Absolutely. I definitely do have a CRM with like a bunch of like people who could be prospects sure. and have all that stuff. But here's the most important thing that I feel people should know. When we think about relationships, I want you all to think about this scenario. Okay. Let's say you meet somebody new every few days, which most of us don't, by the way. Mm. Let's use that as a, as a very optimistic case. So you meet a couple of people every week. Let's say two people a week. So in a year, let's say you meet 100 people, give and take. And finally, once again, I don't want to make this a math class, make this too complicated, but let's say you live 50 more years from the age you are currently. So let's mm -hmm. say you're 35, you live until 85, 50, you live until 100. For me, relationship building, Joey, has always been a different question. Most people in relationship building say something like this. Oh, like, how do I get everyone to like me, Joey? How do I get every single person? Whereas in my head, it's always been, well, wait a second. I only get to meet 100 people a year and I'll live for 50 more. Knock on wood, I'll live for longer, but just the thing, mm. example. That's 5,000 people, ladies and gentlemen. So the question you need to ask yourself is not how do you get people to like you, but rather, who do you want those 5,000 people to be? Oh, That's very different. So back to your question, how do I manage these relationships? The answer is I don't. Okay. I talk to 100 people, and then I find the five people out of those 100, or even the three people, that I just really love mm. and I pour 80% of my energy into those people. That's it. Simple. Like yesterday, to give you an example, I had a great conversation with this woman named Juanita over LinkedIn. We booked 15 minutes to talk to each other. That call lasted two freaking hours. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I was like, this is amazing. You're like the best person. You only need 100 people like that. Yeah, I got to meet Juanita. Right? You do. I'll introduce <laughs> you. She's amazing. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. But I, I love that spin on it because I think I think you're right. It can be, especially if that 5 to 10% of the people that you're really keeping track of are, are highlighting, those people are probably also centers of influencer, centers of influence, power connectors themselves. And I love this golden nuggets because it's like as long as you as long as you focus on those few people that you most want to stay connected with, going back to what you said about getting your top 10 to connect you to their top 10s, like that can be more than enough to get you to those 5,000 people that you want to help over 30 years. You're absolutely spot on. And especially for business owners, I got this, I guess, another tip. I'm always like jumping at the tips. And, and this woman named Catherine, who's in a coaching program part of, she's doing incredibly well in her business. And she said this to all of us. She's probably doing like 10 or 100x of what I'm doing. And she said, you know, if you're not maximizing your business for joy, why are you mm. in business? Like even if you had 20, let's say you signed like 100 5K clients tomorrow. If they're all miserable people and you hate working with them, it doesn't matter if you're making half a million dollars pre-expense. It doesn't matter because you don't like coming to work every day. Whereas me, and that's why I'm a big proponent of keeping a lot of cash liquid, is be, now you have a lot less stress 
you're selling a lot less, but more importantly, you're opening up space, you're opening up energy for the people that you just really love working with. Mm. And then if you have those 50 people, those 100 people, that's it. You don't need anything else. And then those people, it just introduces you to other great people. You could just deliver amazing service for them. And that's your business, right? So I'd encourage so people to think like that. That's so good. You guys, I am dedicated to bringing as many amazing conversations like this as I can to as many people as I can. Brendan, you make this super easy to do. Thank you for being such a great friend and amazing co-business owner who I'm learning a lot from. If people want to connect with you, it sounds like LinkedIn is the best place to really connect and build that relationship with you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Feel free to DM me directly. I know my okay. name is harder to spell. That's why I type like Brendan from Master Talk. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you find my name, it's Brendan Kumarasamy. You can connect with me directly. We'll drop a LinkedIn. link. Yeah, we'll drop a link. Okay. <laughs> but the easiest thing is really the YouTube channel. Just go check that out. And that's Master Talk? You got it. Okay. And you also have got a free training coming up. I know that you just did one, but I'll make sure that I grab that link from you. And we put that in the comments and the show notes as well. So people can get that. You guys, it's crazy. Free live coaching on the spot. Uh, how many people do you tend to get in these free trainings, Brendan? This morning we had, I think, 20, 25. Some other days it's 70. It always depends. Wow, on that's day. awesome. But that's still, yeah. I mean, that's a really good number, but it's still low enough to where if you guys sign up for this, you can expect pretty personalized experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's great. It's a man. lot of fun. Well, thanks again for coming on. You guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please, please follow Brendan everywhere. Continue to pick up his golden nuggets. I'll see you guys all next week. Bye. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week.